Before I kick off episode 51, I wanted to share some exciting news about my new website at joshdamper.com, which is being constructed and will be launched soon. The site will have the Aspire podcast, blog posts, and a whole host of resources for educational leaders. In this upcoming week, I'll be kicking off the website with some giveaways, so make sure you are following me at Joshua double underscore Stamper on Twitter and Instagram for updates. I hope you enjoyed this week's interview with a fantastic educational leader. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I am thrilled to have Jennifer Gonzalez on the show today. Jennifer was a middle school language arts teacher and university pre-service teacher before becoming one of the largest voice in education today. Jennifer is the creator of Cult of Pedagogy, speaker, podcaster, blogger, and co-author of Hacking Education, 10 Quick Fixes for Every School. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And as you know, the show is centered on leadership development, and I would love to hear your personal journey on how you went from the classroom to leading the charge with one of the most popular educational podcasts. Well, uh, I definitely didn't plan for it to become one of the most popular educational podcasts. Actually, I didn't, didn't even have a podcast in mind at first. When I left the classroom, I was a, a middle school language arts teacher, and my husband and I started having kids, and, and we planned for me to stay home with them. So I did that for a couple of years, and then the plan was that I was going to go back to the classroom. But in the meantime, I was offered a position working at the local university teaching pre-service teachers uh, because I've got my national board certification and I don't have a PhD, but they were taking national board people to teach undergrads. So I thought, this is perfect. I can do this for a couple of years. And I really, really liked it. I really liked preparing teachers. And so I sort of had a decision to make. I, I was thinking about maybe trying to go ahead and get a PhD, enrolling in a program and actually becoming a university professor. There was always, of course, the option to go back to the classroom. So I sort of was looking at those two options. And then sort of serendipitously, I had to just get three extra credits just to keep my teaching license. And so I just enrolled in some ed tech classes at the same university where I taught. And the way that that course was structured was we had to submit our assignments through a WordPress blog. So I had never done that before and I really liked it. And I really found myself kind of going above and beyond the assignments. And so basically whenever it came time to decide what I was gonna do, I thought I'm really enjoying this. And I started even using some of some technology to help my pre-service teacher students. Um, I was finding myself recording a lot of videos and storing them online for them and basically flipping my classroom even though I didn't know that that's what it was called at the time. So I just found that I had kind of a knack for technology. Anyway, so ultimately I just decided to start a blog and then that eventually, I, I added the podcast to that. Um, and that was six years ago. Wow. So um, it was all very kind of layered and accidental. And yeah, there was definitely not a plan. I didn't even understand how one could do this and make a living at it. That's something that I also just learned over time. I figured I would run some Google ads and maybe make a little bit of income from those. And that's all I knew. So. <laughs> And I love having guests on the show that have very different titles because I think there's a perception in education that you have to be a leader through administration. And so why did you decide to lead educators through your own business? Well, I, I realized when I was teaching at the university level, I had maybe maybe 40 to 50 students every semester. 
And I was also working with really smart people who were doing research and education. And even their work only reached a, a really small audience. They would research for years. They would publish their research. It would get put into these very sort of esoteric, you know, uh, academic journals. They get locked behind these subscriptions and they're really expensive. And I thought, man, there's got to be a better way to reach people. So once I realized, since I learned how to blog, um, how to set that up, I thought, well, I can reach a lot more people this way. And it'll also just be really fun. I always, when I was a teacher, I always wanted something that would help me to access all of that research out there in a way that was just a lot easier to understand and didn't require me to plow through all of that dense academic stuff. And um, so that was one of the things I always wanted to provide for teachers is a way to make, help them do their jobs better in a way that wasn't going to be really time consuming and also really enjoyable for them. So when did you realize you were an educational leader? I think I realize it every day when people <laughs> call me that. You know, it's definitely, it's been gradual. You know, so, sometimes if I put out a blog post and then I see that it's being read by a lot of people and then sometimes things will come back to me. You know, I'll have people, I, I think one of the things is, is I'll hear people now talking about like the single point rubric, which was an idea that I put out a couple of years ago. And they won't even credit me with it anymore, which makes me realize it's gotten so far out there that people don't even now know where it came from. And that's exciting to me. It's not because I didn't actually make up the idea. It's just that the woman who did had never really pushed it out there. So I pushed it way, way harder. And so to see that idea now circulating where people don't even know where it came from, I just think that's kind of cool. I don't even know. I think I, I uh, underestimate, I guess, sometimes whether or not I am a leader, but um I think sometimes if I put an article out there and then I hear about people following that advice, it's, um, I wouldn't say humbling, but it like, it makes me realize that I have to keep taking this work very seriously because if it is going to make people go to their administrators or go to their superintendents and say, we need to be doing this, I need to make sure that, that it's accurate what I'm putting out there or that I can at least stand behind it. Yeah. And I want to talk about that too, because when you put something out, obviously there's some vulnerability there. So what led mm -hmm. to you finding and amplifying your voice through your blog and through your podcast? I don't know. I think it probably was just like the, one of the earliest times that I did it and it resonated with people. There are a lot of things that we don't talk about enough in education and definitely not in public places. Sometimes I think that's because teachers feel like they can't say certain things because they want to keep their jobs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I always noticed that when I was teaching that teaching is such a it's such an emotional job not that you're sitting around crying all the time but our state of mind is such a huge factor in how well we do our jobs and i don't think enough attention has been given to that and our state of mind can be impacted by everything from our relationship with our colleagues how we relate to our students and how we interpret so many of the things that happen so the best way for me to talk about that stuff is to just talk about my own experiences and, and how things impacted me. And I found that a lot of those experiences are things that other people relate to. So I just keep going with that. Yeah. And so early in your educational career, what was one of the most challenging or impactful experiences you had that enhanced your skills as a leader? That's mm, something that probably enhanced it in a negative way, but it taught me what not to do. My principal one year put together sort of a crack team of like strong teachers to, to pilot some new stuff. 
but he did it in a way that was kind of secretive for a while. Like we would have these little meetings and we were reading some strategies and eventually he wanted us to kind of like roll them out to the staff. And I understand why he did it the way he did, because there were a lot of kind of burned out teachers in the building who were always pushing back on new initiatives. So I think he thought, let me get the people who I know we're going to get on board first and then we can get the rest of the staff on board. But people really did not like the fact that he had his little special secret team of like ACE teachers. And it just bred a lot of resentment. And that, I think it taught me that it's really important to include or at least invite everybody into the process and just always stay really humble and and realize that you don't have all the answers. So that experience definitely had an impact on me in terms of, of teaching me some leadership lessons. So what do you find to be the most difficult part of being a leader outside of an educational campus? Well, I mean, the fact that I'm not in the classroom is a huge Achilles heel for me because every year is just another year away and people in my audience are not shy about pointing that out to me, especially if they don't like what I'm saying. (laughs) You know, you're not even in the classroom anymore. And it's true. And that's one of the reasons why I try to bring a lot of practicing classroom teachers onto my podcast to share what they're doing. So that's definitely one of the main things. And also it's just kind of, it's hard to not have coworkers. I'm, I'm very, very tight with a couple of other blogger slash podcasters because we have the same lifestyle now. We have the same job every day um, and the same concerns. You know, we deal with negative feedback and, and, and that kind of thing. So that helps, but it's kind of, it's lonely. You know, I'll go to conferences sometimes and I see teachers there in their little groups of people that they came with and they've got people to hang out with all the time. And sometimes I'll have people say to me, oh, I saw you at this conference, but I was too shy to come over and introduce myself. And sometimes I'm like, I wish you would have spent the whole day alone. (laughs) That's not always the case. I don't go to a lot of conferences, but, you know, you don't really have a, a, a group of people that are your people. I mean, sometimes that's because I'm also an introvert. Maybe I don't try so hard. (laughs) (laughs) There are educational folks that are introverts, yes. So what was your biggest misconception as you moved from being a teacher to the private industry? One big difference is just you have to keep kind of like selling yourself. You know, there's no marketing and teaching. You know, you just show up and you do your work and you do a good job and that's it. And, and if you're making your living off of something that you do on your own, then you have to market it. <laughs> so I, I drag my feet on that a lot because I just don't feel like doing it. And it's just not, that's not how teachers are built. So I hope I'm doing it in a way that's not gross. <laughs> but, no, but I understand yeah. that. I mean, we, we get into education to serve and to help others. And when you're mm-hmm. trying to then say, pay me for that, <laughs> it does mm-hmm. feel weird. Well, and that's the thing, too, is that, I mean, probably 75% of what I do is stuff I don't get paid for anyway. You know, there's a lot of just free content out there and everything. And so uh, in terms of the guilt about things that are paid for and not that that's gone away for the most part, just because I know how I feel as a consumer about stuff that's out there that's free versus stuff that's paid. And I know what I think about the stuff that's free. And just as a natural reaction, a lot of times I think it's probably not going to be very high quality if it's free because what's the motivation to work really hard on it? I know that we all only have so many hours in the day. And I know if I'm charging somebody for something, I'm going to work 10 times harder to make sure that it's super high quality. So, and I mean, everybody's got to put food on the table and 
I guess I think there's also just becoming a lot more people in our space who are doing something that people have to pay out of pocket for. And I like the fact that there are districts and administrators, et cetera, who are budgeting for that kind of thing versus uh, teachers paying out of their own salaries because most teachers' salaries are crap. So mm-hmm. it's it's good to see this stuff kind of going more toward professional development budgets versus teachers having to pay for it. Jennifer, I think you have an incredible pulse on the future of education. As you travel around the world, what is one of the largest barriers to the success of educational leaders? I would say the biggest barrier is the existence of people in the education space who have never taught and don't understand how it works. Because for anybody that's ever taught even just a couple of days, once you get put into a classroom and you're the one in charge, all of a sudden there are these huge epiphanies of this is not at all what I thought it was when I was a student and thought it looked so easy. And I think once a person has navigated that world, even even for a year or two, you start to really understand what works and what doesn't. And so we have, I think we have too many voices right now uh, in government and uh, people who are making policy who don't understand what works. Um, and I also, I see a lot of criticism, well, I guess because I'm one of those people, uh, against people who are no longer in the classroom, who are trying to help teachers do a better job, saying, oh, you, you don't get to have a voice now because you're not in the classroom. And I just think that's really unfair because you're talking about some of the people out there who are getting criticized are, are like 25-year veterans of the classroom. Uh, I think there's a lot of value. It's like telling somebody that, you know, because they're no longer an actor, they can't direct a movie. It's just like, no, this is something you do when you start to advance in the profession. You start being able to then help some of the practitioners who are just in, you know, in the trenches still. So, but I do think that people who have not ever taught at all really should be doing a lot more listening and observing than um, than talking. And there are a lot of those people are in a position to create barriers. Well, you've talked about it a couple of times. When you receive criticism on a message that you've put out, how do you work through that? Just experience more than anything has helped. The first time I got a, any kind of criticism on a blog post, I just I was in a bad mood for like three days. I was devastated. And so <laughs> over time, when these things keep coming in, um, I'd say the first thing I always do is, is look for the truth in it, because a lot of the times the criticisms that I get they're valid for some reason. It may not be something I can change, but a lot of times it's something that, I don't know, I can't think of an example, but I I have learned and grown a lot from the criticism that I have received. So it always stings because it's like, oh my gosh, somebody doesn't like me out there. They don't think I'm perfect. But as you get past that feeling, then you um, you can get better. And it also makes it a lot easier to identify the criticism that is just there to be nasty because you can usually see the truth in it right away. So if somebody's just being a jerk, then it just gets easier to to identify. YouTube has helped a lot for that for some reason. I don't know what it is, but YouTube attracts a lot of trolls who are simply, I think there must be just going around putting thumbs down on a bunch of videos just for fun. Um, and just putting mean comments without even watching the videos. I don't understand what it is about YouTube, but I've, I'm so used to it now that that it just makes me realize that there are some people in the world who it's their hobby to to spread negativity on the internet. And um, I can tell by the way that a person is talking whether they're actually invested in the subject matter or if they're just there to to be nasty. For those who do not hold a leadership position, what are some other ways our aspiring leaders can make an immediate impact? Well. 
always conducting yourself in ways that you could be proud of is one thing. You know, keeping in mind that conversations that you have with colleagues today uh, are things people are going to remember later. So um, imagining if you're like a classroom teacher now and you're always speaking negatively about parents, for example. Well, if you then get into a role as a leader and you start talking about how we're going to be building relationships with parents, well, the people who used to be the people you talked with, they're going to be like, yeah, no, I know that guy. Like he, he, he doesn't believe anything he says. So, I mean, I think the ideal is that the people that you work with, the people who will eventually um, maybe fall under your leadership, you want to have always built uh, respect from them, even in your conduct, just while you're having lunch, you know, having just random conversations. So just, I think that's one thing. Just participating in the things that you're really passionate about. That the, that stuff tends to lead to other opportunities later. I think uh, people who are in the position to promote or lift up people into leadership positions, they're always looking for talent out there or um, enthusiasm and people who care about quality. That that stuff can never really steer you in the wrong direction. I guess those are just some basic principles. As a fellow podcaster, I have to give a shout out to your podcast because it's absolutely amazing. So can you take a moment to share what the cult of pedagogy is all about? Basically, it's, uh, well, I mean, the the name of it, pedagogy is just the art and science of teaching. And I named it cult of pedagogy as just a play on words off of the song cult of personality, which is actually an old expression. And it's just really based on the fact that I, uh, I completely geek out about education and I I wanted it to attract people who are just like way too enthusiastic about talking about little things like methodology and craft and, you know, theory and research. And so the site is just, it's there to help anybody who teaches anything uh, get better at it. And I really do try to focus on pedagogy, although I do cover technology and equity and classroom management and that kind of thing. But um, I try to regularly circle back to learning theory and and how how people actually learn and grow and what we can do to facilitate that. So there's there's tons and tons of articles. There's a podcast. I've got a bunch of videos on YouTube. I interview authors. I try to cover a lot of active classroom practices. And I put a lot of little sketches on things to try to make it pretty. So <laughs> No, you do a great job. And so in closing, <laughs> what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? I guess it's knowing that you have influence. I mean, there's, there have been a lot of times in my life when I have felt invisible and powerless. And so having a feeling sometimes that you could say something or push something out there and, and it would actually influence people's thinking and decisions, that's pretty incredible. And so how can our listeners connect with you on social media? Pretty much everything is Cult of Pedagogy. So my Twitter handle is at Cult of Pedagogy. The website is cultofpedagogy.com. If you just Google that, you will find all of the things. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and everything. But you start at the website and that'll, that'll branch you off to all those places. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast. And if you've gotten any value from this show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on social media. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. I I had a great time. And you have a good day. Yes, you too.